you got your Bibles with you, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Keep pushing through the church of Ephesus. One of my favorite, probably, epistles. Uh, spent a lot of time in it. Uh, taught the book before. And uh, seems like I see something new or different. Or maybe, maybe it's more of a, a, a more full understanding of what is actually taking place. You know, the the uh, the great thing about the Bible is is uh, the you know the the I think it's I think we change more than it changes, you know. And the funny thing we always t- I always say that like the the Bible is is a place of like un, un, un unmeasurable truth. Like it's it's a never ending treasure. Like no matter how much you dig, there's always more there. But I think a lot of that becomes because we change, and as we change, our point of view changes. As we grow older and situations arise, and as we begin to uh, become smarter to the things of this life and the, and the way we are, uh, we tend to grasp it in different ways and in new ways. And so uh, I, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, uh, Joy is going to go uh, preach and minister to the, ki- to the kids who have kid problems, and I'm going to uh, help the big kids with their big kid problems. And, uh, and, the, and the church of Ephesus is Paul teaching to big kid problems. And uh, uh, it, uh, it, it works really good like that. Paul's very smart about what he's saying and what he's trying to teach them. And some things are deep and some things are simple. There's, there's like some things there's no reason to add a lot to it. It's, it's quite simple. And so today it's kind of a combination of both. And, and I'll try to like tackle it the best I can. It definitely deserves some more time and some more study. But uh, it's kind of part of the Bible. It's part on your end to like study the Word of God. Uh, if all the food you're getting, if, if you were getting only the food that I served you, you would starve. You would starve. You've got to learn to read the Bible for yourself. You've got to learn to study for yourself. Uh, that's part of growing and becoming uh, a, a Christian. So the church of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start 7 through 15, and I'm just going to, I'm going to hang on these, these scriptures this morning. Hang on these scriptures. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended into our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. So there's a lot to sift through there, a lot to sift through. And... I tell you, we're going we're gonna to tackle it, uh, but, but I want to tackle it. I'm going to break it up in like a three sections, so to speak, because it's easier to tackle it a little bit at a time rather than try to take all of it in. So let's just deal with the first part. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So from the outpouring, one of the areas... One of the areas that we've definitely seen, uh, and if you haven't read Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is a promise it is a scriptural prophetic promise of Jesus who is coming. 
Isaiah has not met Christ. He is literally hearing from the Lord in prayer, and he's writing this thing down. And as he writes it down, it begins to be this... I mean, go read it. Isaiah 53 is the, I mean, there, I, I tell you, one of the reasons I knew it so well is there was a time where I actually memorized it in the King James. Um, but there was, there was this time where you, if you, you need to read it, it prophesies all that is to come for the gospel. Matter of fact, if you, if you ever want to evangelize the gospel, I would tell you right now, you should know Isaiah 53. All right, it's a very strong scripture, very stout scripture. In verse 12, the last verse, one of the things that it says, therefore I will divide with him a portion him being Jesus, I will divide with Jesus a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil of that portion with the strong. Why do I bring that up? Uh, I bring it up because God has gifted Christ. He has given to Christ, and as he's given to Christ, Christ has given to us these gifts, and it comes from the gift. Do you understand me? Right? First of all, to understand where your gift from, where, what your gift is, is to know what your gift comes from. Where does it come from? It comes from him and his victory at the cross. Right? When he, when he was successful in his resurrection and his ascension and all those things that took place, God poured out and lavished upon Christ. Christ now lavishes upon us. So your gift, first and foremost, it comes from uh, Jesus. What I, what I love about the King James, and, and by the way, I believe, let me tell you in the search of this, this is what I was talking with Betty about this morning is you better start reading some multiple translations here. Because if you go read the New Living, you read something about a victorious soldier, and, and, and which is great, but if you study how soldiers are, when they come off the battle and they're victorious, and, and say, uh, for instance, if you award a soldier who has won a great battle, right, he, he, to keep his men in loyalty, to keep his men, realize even the greatest general understands that he didn't fight that battle all by themselves. He fought it with men who fought for, with him, right? And so he, we, we lavish that upon the general. The general turns around and lavishes it back on his troops. The King James just says it better, truthfully. I mean, the actual part is, the, if you read the NLT in this quote right here, you're going to have to like study actually what that means if you're not familiar with how soldiers are and how that works. So I really like the King James here. It's smart to look up different stuff there. So you know, the King James, one of the funny things, he said he divides the, he divides the spoils with the strong. You feel strong? I always talk about that. I don't feel strong. You know? And I know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, but the problem is he strengthens me because I got none. <laughs> right? So I never feel strong. It's an irony here to, to read something like that. Or, uh, are, are you the ones to whom Jesus has given a gift to which Isaiah prophesied? Can I tell you, if you're a born-again believer, then yes, you are. You are. You are the strong. It's hard. It's hard. Some translations, they translate this word gift that the NLT uses into a couple of different things. They translate it into the word grace. Some of them do because it's easy, I think. Some of them translate it into like something more, something more like the Holy Spirit baptism. If you don't understand what that is, read Acts 2. Like fire come down from heaven kind of stuff, laying upon the tongues. Now, it doesn't mean like tongue talking every time, but it means like miracles and crazy weird stuff. You know, strange things, Right? Both are definitely a possibility because what God is basically trying to say is that he's given each person a gift that will contribute. First of all, it's supernatural. This gifting you have is not of your own. It, didn't, it wasn't put there because you're just so awesome. I know we like those memes about how awesome we are, but it's not true. Right? There, there's, something, there's something in you that's been given to you by Christ. Right? And it's, it's a gift, which is neat, because you benefit from it, but it's not necessarily for you. 
right? And by using the words grace and the Holy Spirit, about these things like that, it defines the gift as something you cannot possess any other way except by supernatural. And, and the scriptures back all this up, man. This is done to keep us humble. You can't brag about something you had nothing to do with. All right? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? If it was a gift, why are you bragging about it? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Again, talking to the Ephesians. This is kind of laying it on twice now, right? By, for by grace you, you've been saved through faith and not, listen, he says, and not even of yourselves. It is the gift from God. Your faith to believe in Jesus is a gift from God. You don't possess it all by yourself. You weren't born with it. It is a gift given to you supernaturally by God so that you could believe in Jesus. It's not a result, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Right? This gift is a reminder to you. Be conscious of it because it's a reminder in an effort to humble you. This doesn't come from you. You are not this awesome. Jesus is. Jesus has imputed this into you. This is, should create a thankful heart. The gifts that I have should create a thankful heart to be appreciative of the one who's given me the gift. Salvation is a gift. I should be appreciative of it because not even my faith to believe in Jesus could create salvation, right? I, I don't have any faith unless Jesus gives me the faith to believe in him, right? It's a gift. It's all a gift. You start seeing how Jesus is like, it's all Jesus, like even you're coming to God. Like, oh, we want people to come to the altar and give their lives to Jesus. Wait a minute. That's Jesus' part. Jesus has got to open up their stone heart right now and somehow like beat that thing down and bring it into submission for it to even come forward. Jesus has to impute faith into that. It, it, he, he has to put faith into it. Any gift we possess, and everyone possesses a gift, adds to the whole of the body of Christ. Our gift, while it might seem insignificant at times, adds to the greater good of the whole. I mean, for instance... How many of you ever put together a puzzle, right? Who's had a missing piece? And it's not like some obvious piece, right? Like the outside. It's like some inside piece that's part of some yellow that is infinitely yellow with everything else, right? You know what I'm talking about? That piece is insignificant because it looks like every other piece around it until you need it. You ever think about that? And you, guess what? What do you want to do with the puzzle? Do you frame that puzzle when you're done with that missing piece? No. Because it's worthless. How many of you, if a piece is missing out of a puzzle, you throw it away? Your gift, how insignificant you might think you are to the picture of the thing, is kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. You have a part to play in the kingdom of God. Don't lessen it. Don't lessen that. Just because you don't see your part doesn't mean it's not valuable. Just because others don't see your part does not mean you're not valuable. Part of that is learning what our gifts are. Now, don't get braggadocious when it comes to this kind of stuff because it, it happens to us, especially when some are gifted more than the others in certain areas. I think I can see everybody better right here. It's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Our values determined by the by the Lord, man. Have you ever put much thought into the gift in, in each of you? I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you have. How does your gifting help you serve the body of Christ? Because, uh, guys, that's what you're here for, right? You sure weren't giving it for your benefit. As a matter of fact, you'll find that uh, 
that they'll blossom into something wonderful when you're joined into the whole bunch, right? When your gift is combined with somebody else's gift, is combined with somebody else's gift, combined with somebody else's, it's pretty awesome what you do. It's pretty awesome what you can do, right? Maybe the reason we don't see our gifts resonate and stand out is because we're too scared to be us. Maybe that's why Paul starts early with the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 10, referring to them as God's original masterpiece. This is a drum that I beat a lot. I beat this one a lot. We were originally created for a reason. So embrace it. Embrace what makes you different. I mean, funny, the Bible is like the king of diversity. And, and the, the funny thing is the people who want diversity never preach it. But it's like, it, it is like, it totally capitalizes off this idea that each one of you are unique. Each one of you are wonderfully made. I mean, from like everything about you to the hairs on your head, to the color of your skin, to the eye color. I mean, listen, your fingerprints and your eyes are only yours. Can't nobody else have those two things in all of the world, right? You are unique. You are wonderfully made. You are an original. So be one. The Bible even says, it goes a step farther. It goes, be set apart. It like commands you, be different. When you see yourself going with the flow, probably not right. You're probably going to lead yourself into some place that's not right. I'm just saying. Be set apart. Now, will it cost you? Of course. Welcome to the Christian life, man. Welcome to free life. Life free of the, of the flow of everything else, man. That's always going to be hard. It's all, it just is, right? The world always hates free thinkers. And people who will go against culture. You, you want, we've talked about this before. You want to find out? Start asking questions. See how much people start hating you. <laughs> well, why? Why do we do this this way? Just shut up and do it. By the way, how many of you talk to your kids like that when they ask why? Sometimes I just need you to listen. By the way, God, does, uh, God is like that to us sometimes. I really think that God wants us just to listen and do. Right? There are times when it's for our own good just to do. And you know what the funny thing about that is? How do we know? Because God's telling us to do and he's not telling us why. All right? I, I get that. There's some maturity that comes with trusting who's in charge. I totally get that. But also know that, man, God's not, God is not a leader who is, uh, he's not uh, hurt by your challenge. Like, I can't believe they challenged me. Well, no. I mean, like all the time, I love how like they were talking. I love how that the disciples felt so comfortable with Jesus. They said, hey, man, who gets to sit next to you when you get to heaven? I mean, they talked about dumb stuff. And they could, they could talk about things. I mean, like, they had conversations where it got so heated up, you know, he's calling Peter the devil. I mean, I mean like, you can have a conversation with Jesus. He's, he's not overtaken by your challenge. of Go look at Peter. He's not challenged by your questions that much. Not as bad as you think, right? You, gotta be, you have to learn to be patient about that, as well as, I think that's why, you know, I, I think that's why God teaches us patience. But history proves it's not a big fan of people who ask questions. Go ask questions. Why? Why do we do what we do? This is going to come in here in a little bit. Because you're going to find out something about me as I ask questions. Well, why? I mean, if I was to ask you, how did we end up doing church the way we do church today? How many of you know? How many of you have studied church history? You've studied history books. You've studied theology. And you know why we do what we do today. And how many of you are taking all of that off faith? Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt your theology already, right? Blow your mind up and be like, what? why are we? You're right. I'm not here to plant that seed, but I'm going to talk about it. Because here's the thing is, man, if you don't know, your house is already on some sinking sand. Because if anybody, uh, uh, what, they have a thing called apologetics in, in, in ministry or in Christianity, whatever. The funny thing, apologetics sounds like it would be about apology, but it's not about an apology at all. It's about fighting for the faith. 
And it's having the answers when somebody challenges you, right? Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to get into everybody should be this, uh, a, a person who understands apologetics and things like that. But there should be a desire in you to want to know what is right and what is wrong. This should lead you on the journey to discover who Christ is, how great he is, and how he affects your life. Right? Even in the study of your personal gifts within inside you, there should be some questions you begin to ask Jesus. Jesus, why am I this way? Why did you make me this way? He's not, he's not going to freak out. It's okay to ask him. He might not answer you all the time. He might send you scriptures and go, man, that's it. That's totally me. I see that. I see that. You know, find your ways to relate. But God gives us with something supernatural. He gives us with something that belongs with grace. It belongs with the Holy Spirit baptism. Belongs in the supernatural overflow. It's not just for us. It's for the whole of the church. Right? And then he, and then he presents this second option, so to speak. He says, basically, where does your gift fall under these other things because these other things in the scripture calls them gifts as well. Now in the ministry we would call them like offices because we've made offices out of them. But I love how the scripture right here says gifts. I like that even better. These are five gifts that are listed in our text and they're also called the fivefold ministry. If you've ever heard that term, it's called the fivefold ministry. They are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Now our gifts that have been given to us by God can be classified under one of these or some of these, because I think what you'll find is that, you know, you're going to fit into more than one category at times. Now, maybe one more stronger than the others, but you're definitely going to fit into one or more. I always think at least two. Let's start with this. An apostle. An apostle is basically a messenger. He's an envoy, a delegate, or basically one commissioned by God to represent him in some way. The disciples of Jesus were called apostles. Now, they physically walked with the Lord. He taught them. He commanded. He sent them. And they, that from their word became these things that planted out. I, I, I tend to have a, a, I don't want to call it an ideology. My thought process is when I look at apostles, whether it's through supernatural apostle like Paul. Paul didn't meet Jesus physically. Met him spiritually on the road to Damascus. And then you got the apostles. Here's what I know about the two and what they carried along. The same thing that, that, that's missing in some of the other things. They planted apostolic power from, from looking at the New Testament plants. And it doesn't do it like I don't think intentionally, but they have the gift within them to surplant like groups almost. I mean, there's such a, there's such a massive amount of evangelism and power within the apostolic uh, uh, group that when you see the, the, the Peter and James and John, I mean, Peter gets up and preached 3,000 come to the Lord. And, and I believe when the Bible says 3,000 come to the Lord, I mean, like they changed their life forever. They, they witnessed something they couldn't explain, a Holy Spirit type baptism type thing, man. Couldn't explain something very supernatural, right? And they went back to their homes, and all of a sudden now there is a church in Jerusalem. It's not, it's not a church like you see here, Four Walls, or like the FBC Church on the Hill, or Lakeshore, or Church of Christ. It's not like that. It's the church. The people of God who live in Jerusalem are now called the church. There's no four walls to them. There's city limit signs. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Amen. Right? It's city limit signs, man, holding this group. This is the church in Jerusalem, man. And, and now they've been given this, this opportunity, like, I want to say govern it, but they're like trying to figure this thing out because they're kind of in it over their head. Right? And then all of a sudden, wherever Paul goes, what does Paul do? Like inadvertently, man, he ain't even started. Like, I came to plant a church. No, he doesn't. He goes, man, I came to tell all of Asia Minor. Right? 
But somehow there's this apostolic power within him that it just happens, man. All of a sudden there's a church in Corinth, a church in Ephesus, a church in uh, Philippi. I mean, come on, it goes Macedonia. I, you know, the, the irony of Macedonia is it's one of the poorest ones, and Paul always talks about it like it's the greatest one. I mean, everywhere he goes, the, he, this group of believers begins to form, and Christianity begins to spread through a group of believers, and there is no church planning seminar he goes to. There is no, like, I'm going to raise $100,000, we're going to go to Philippi, and I'm going to get some donations from you, and we're going to raise a church up there and buy us a little coliseum, and, and uh, it's going to nicely plant this little church, and we're going to usurp this pastor in position and role, and none of that, man. I mean, by the way, I don't think we would let, we would not loan money to Paul, because Paul wouldn't have a plan. Paul's plan is like, I'm going. I'll see y'all later. Well, we're not going to support you, Paul, so I'll go work. I mean, he's just going to go. There's no way. You're not going to stop Paul from doing these things, man. He's apostolic, man. God is moving with him. He's so determined to do it. And he does, he's not set out to plant. It's just what happens through his gifting. Through his gifting. So I, I often tend to associate church planters with apostolic. But today's church planter is such a shallow thing. It's such a shallow thing. It's not like apostolic. Uh, apostolic is like 1940s and 50s after kind of the great awakening that comes out of Azusa. If you don't know what that is, you need to go read about it. But the Azusa revival comes out and all these like, uh, by the way, the assemblies of God is kind of how they started. All these Baptist preachers and Methodist preachers get saved. Then uh, guess what? Once that, I say get saved, get spirit filled. Let me change my correct correction there. Get spirit filled. And this next thing you know, they're not allowed in their own Baptist churches anymore they got to start something because something is moving within them to do something. And all of a sudden, they start planting churches everywhere. I can tell you, like, one of the greatest ones uh, I always remember is there's always there's this one lady that I remember reading about. She started 48 churches. 48 churches. How do you start, like, go around and just, I'm going to start 48 churches. That's apostolic power. Nobody does that. Nobody does that today. Nobody does that today. They built churches on, like, zero. They just went by faith and walked by faith. No raising money, no nothing. Went into a town and preached it till a group gathered together, put somebody in its place, and went to the next town. That's apostolic power. Don't let, don't let what we do today fool you. We're, we mimic it as much as we can because what's missing is the supernatural part. I'm trying to be honest with you there. Missing is the supernatural part. Prophet. Probably spent way too much time talking about apostles. A prophet is somebody who's gifted with more than something, with more than like ordinary uh, uh, spiritual or moral insight. I mean, these guys are all over the Old New Testament. They're all, all over it. And they're often loners, usually because they're hated. <laughs> they have a longing for righteousness. They have a closeness with God that desires this righteousness with God. A prophet has to be more than right. They have to also bear the love of Jesus. They can't love being right. That's not, they have to love Jesus. They, they, want, they love Jesus so much they want to see his people become what Christ has given his life for. So I mean, like there's this idea that, that they have fallen in love with God. They see God's love for us and it burdens them. They, they, it burdens them to see. It, it's, like, it's like the person who, um, if you've if you ever looked out and seen a bad marriage or maybe you've seen like a TV show where it talked about it and you could see where two people are starting to split up and you see that it's all one person's fault and you're like, why won't they just get it in their head? This is the best thing that's ever happened to them. That's the prophet who looks at the bride of Christ and goes, man, why don't they just get it? This guy's amazing. He's, he loves you, man. I mean, no matter how much you mess up, he still gives himself for you. He still falls in love with you constantly. Why won't you get it? And then he looks out to you and he beckons you, please come to him. 
right? Quit sinning. They become like John the Baptist. Remember how John was? You brood of vipers. Who's warned you to come here? Like he's not calling you names so that you just get it, right? Like so I, so I can offend you or I can shock you. He's saying, man, quit acting like this. Don't you see? Repent, repent. He's here. Jesus is going to, he's going to walk amongst, he's here. I'm trying to get your attention, just like you're somebody playing on the railroad tracks, and I can see the train coming, and you can't. I'm telling you, I, I might look like an idiot, sound like an idiot, and be mean to you, but I'm trying to save your life. I'm trying to save your life. I love Spurgeon who said, you know, he said, man, let them jump over our bodies as we block the entrance to hell. Let us make it so difficult for them, man, we become a nuisance, giving ourselves before them. That's the prophet, right? Prophet has to be more than right. They have to bear the love of Jesus. They plead for people's lives. They are great intercessors. Don't believe me? Look at Elijah. It's hard being a prophet. I've always said, man, uh, one of the things that I always had a hard time with, they said the 7,000 have yet to bow knee. Uh, you know, when Elijah said, God, I'm all alone. Well, 7,000 have yet to bow knee. Well, then where are they? Nobody wants to be the prophet because the prophet sometimes can lose his head. Ask John. John had a six-month ministry. He lost his head. He got it cut off for talking the way he talked. Uh, I used to, we used to laugh about uh, my mentor has a tendency to call me a prophet. We'll get in that in a little bit. But what he was like, you know, Jim, just be careful. Be, that spirit of the prophet on you. He says, man, nobody invites that guys to parties. Just saying. Nobody invites that guys over to their house. They want to hear about all the sin they're living in. They don't want to hear about all. <laughs> and then there's the evangelist. Now, the evangelist is anyone and everyone who will go and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's simple. You tell people about Jesus. Pretty simple. In whatever way that you're able to. Sometimes that's going to be vocally. Sometimes it's going to be the way you live. But either way, it has to happen. If you're living right, if you're living according to, your, to, to longing after Christ and pursuing Christ, it will happen naturally. We've made it. If it is a work to evangelize for you, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong because it's not a work to love Christ. And we always talk about what we love. The proof, when we have conversations on Wednesday, you have no problem telling me what you love. No problem. I mean, we can talk about what you're excited about and what you're happy about all day long. Can I tell you what? If Jesus is the center of that focus, it's going to come out. You're going to say it. Well, man, you know, it wouldn't be this way if it wasn't for the Lord, man. I, and it just, just like that, it just all of a sudden that cuts in the conversation, man. It just happens. And you don't have to like build on it. And do you know that you're a sinner? And you don't have to say that kind of stuff. It just happens. Like it, it starts out with loving people where they're at, right? They're going to see the gospel in you. And it will just come out of the overflow of your life living for God. And if you're, like I said, if you have to work at it, like I need a script, Pastor Jim. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're doing it wrong if you need a script. Just need to be you. Be the you God created. Let them see the testimony of how God's worked out that you in your life. Some are pastors. A pastor is a shepherd over a flock. He protects and he serves. He equips the people he's given to watch over. Now, I've, got, I've had a lot of thought over this, and this is where I want to bring some of this up too. This is me asking you questions right here because this is my curiosity. I, I've challenged things, man. I've been in the church for almost 20 years now, and... and uh, the, the, for the longest time, I just took whatever came off the pulpit as like, like, that's it. That's the word, man. And then I think it was like I ended up working for a Christian company where I had some students coming out of Dallas Theological uh, Seminary, a uh, wonderful place. 
And man, they begin to say some things that begin to challenge me. And like for the first time ever, I realized, man, they don't preach everything from the pulpit. Like, what the heck? How are we supposed to like get everything? How are we supposed to learn or even be challenged if somebody doesn't bring it up once in a while? And 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 I begin to like, and then and then I started to find, you know what pastors do sometimes, man? They withhold, they actually think, well, they're not ready for this. Who are you? Who are you to decide what I'm ready for or not ready for? Just give it to me all. Right? Listen, some people just pick on their plate what they want to eat. That's okay. All right. Now you might be missing out some stuff. Remember, because you know, like if, if like I was a kid, I hated guacamole. I turned 19. Somebody gave me like a, a chicken burrito with some guacamole. I was like, this is the best thing ever. But it ate when it's green. Mm, it looks like somebody threw that up. <laughs> and it's still got chunks in it. Don't look right. <laughs> but as you get older, you're like, man, this stuff's good, man. These dudes got it figured out. Like, what was what I was so dumb. Right? But they gave it to me at 10. They let me try. You know, they let me see it. You know what I'm saying? All right? Don't withhold it from me. Ah, you're not ready. Man, don't decide that for me. Let me decide that. Let me. And that's what I try to do with you. So I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to ask you this, right? So, so I, was, I was taking Joy through this journey. She, she doesn't like it, but she's like, I can tell you're leading me. And, 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 uh, and so I'm sitting there talking with her, and, and I'm like, okay. So like, I'm looking. When Jesus talks about a shepherd, and when we're talking about shepherds in, the, in their days, all right, we're not talking about rock stars in the church that got massive followings and things. All right, so let's just... Scrap what we know and look at the, the, uh, uh, the imagery that is painted as what we know of shepherds, all right? First and foremost, shepherds, they, they what? They watch sheep. It's boring. They take care of them. They make sure they have water. They make sure they take them with places for food. Um, they make sure they watch them in the night so nothing happens to them, right? I mean, and, and most of the time, like, they're alone. <laughs> it's, it's a very lonely job. That's why I, like, I always love the idea that, that, that the, the angels come to the shepherd in the story of Christmas. Because why? Because they're sitting out there with nobody. I don't, uh, by the way, the sheep, when they bad, that's not applause. That's just them talking. All right? It's not like, hey, you're an awesome shepherd. Bad. <laughs> right? They don't do that, right? Because they don't really care. Right? I want to eat. I want to sleep. I got to poop and pee somewhere. All right, that's like their whole life, their whole life. It's mundane, and the shepherd's just out there, and he's watching them, and that's all he does. And Jesus says, "This is a pastor." Now, how we got? Where's my question? Right? I'm, this is a question. I don't have a, haven't like, I'm still following this man. But this is where I challenge. But the church today, the pastor today, because I go to all these conferences, leadership stuff, all this stuff, man, and, and I want to be the best pastor I can be. Right? And, and so the challenge over the last 10 years is in learning all this leadership stuff. Pastor, you're supposed to have a vision. Okay? You need to t- be able to tell that church where they're going in the next 5, 10 years. That vision needs to be stamped onto the side of the wall. They need to know where they're going. They need to know everything about that. I'm not sure that the sheep know that every day back in Jesus' day. I think as long as they eat and as long as they drink and as long as they're not dying by the wolf, I think things are pretty good. When did it become the responsibility to be something else? And here's, here's what I think. I think that down the road somewhere, Americana and the way we run businesses got involved in the church. Because you wonder why Jesus is not known, but your church is? That's because that's how we run the church. We run the church like a business organization. Business organizations have mottos. Business organizations have visions. 
Business organizations have direction in place, and here's where we're going to be in five or ten years through projected this. Business organizations are the ones that look at finances and go, hey, through this, through this, through this, we project that we can be here in three to five years, and we can take this money and we can set budgets up over the next four or five years. Da, 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 da. Not saying any of that stuff is bad. What I'm saying is I'm not sure that was the intention in the beginning. When Paul's laying out this is what it is, we have pastors. What if pastors were just literally here? Like when he says it in the scriptures, we're here to just equip you. What if our, I mean, I've said this in here once before. What if what we're really supposed to do is help you find the ministry God's enabled in you? What if, what if we existed uh, just as the, as, as the sounding board and the, to the building up of whatever God wants you to be in him? What if that was the mission again? The health and, and prosperity of the sheep. Now, I don't mean prosperity financially. I mean like you live right? The wolf doesn't come to your house, man, and take your kids and take your, all this other stuff. That's what I mean. I mean, as the pastor to be able to come to you and go, hey, man, I'm going to have to smack you around a little bit because you're not paying attention to your kids and your kids are about to get you out of hand. <laughs> and when I say smack you around, I mean physically, obviously. I mean, like, hold you accountable verbally. Like, hey, I need to come to you, man. You're missing some things right now. And you not get too offended. Bah, 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 bah. And that's what my stick is for, remember? Shut up. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to help you. You're not paying it. You're so busy feeding your mouth. You're not listening to the, the wolf that's right here behind you trying to like do everything. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to direct you and help you. My, my job is not to grow mosaic. My job is to grow you. Let's not get that confused because I think we have. And we have pastors now that sit on empires and we wonder why they fall. I can't believe he failed. You can't. That dude's got more money than anything in the world. He's got his own private jet, private car, private people that work for him, that hide everything under the sun for him. He's put people in place that don't hold him accountable because he's the top dog. And you wonder why he's been temptation. When's the last time you had that kind of money? And no accountability. And every, listen, especially for male pastors, one of the things I'll tell you right now, male pastors, the reason why you never, you never counsel a woman by themselves, because all of a sudden, just like it, it's the same, remember we talked about this last week, same in high school, man. You don't talk to nobody else's wife in private. You don't talk to nobody else's girlfriend. Why? They're just going to be friends. Oh, as soon as you start getting to the intimate level where somebody started telling them their innermost details, you step to another level of intimacy. It's not a counseling thing, man. It's a male and a female in a room with a level of intimacy there, man. It creates problems, man. So you wonder why these guys fail. They're looked as higher. Man, we, we have elevated these guys. Can you imagine these guys? I mean, like... Can you imagine what we've done to pastors today if we supplanted them back in the days of Jesus? I don't think he would have used the word pastor. Well, don't be like this guy. This guy's like a rock star with like 5,000 people that follow. Remember, every time Jesus had a big crowd, he said a few words later and it just killed the crowd. He's like the worst pastor. To today's standard, man, really, Jesus wouldn't be allowed to pastor church. As soon as he came into a multi, big, big, multi, you know, church, uh, he'd went in there and said something and half the people would leave. Like, hey, the board had a meeting. We just lost half our finances, and we can't pay for the building now. We're going to have to let you go. Thank you, son of God. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm asking the question. I'm asking the question. And let me tell you, for me as a pastor, where does it challenge me? It challenges me is to think this. I exist to build you up. I exist to help you create, to equip you for the ministry God's enabled in you. I exist to, I exist to help draw out your gift so that it, when, it, when it's with all the others who have other giftings that, that the puzzle fits together better. Not, and not for mosaic, but for marble falls. Because you are here for a reason. Just like uh, uh, Esther, man. 
Just like you've been called here and put in this place for a reason. Our part, my part is to help us guide to that place. Where is that? I don't know. But here's the thing is, it ain't going to all lay on my shoulders, man. I'm part of the puzzle too, guys. And I'm not a bigger piece. I'm the same size as you. Same size. Equal together, man. We come together. We form the same puzzle, man. I have giftings. You have giftings. This is just working, operating in my gifting. Right? Building you up, being the pastor, equipping you, watching over you, watching your family, watching your kids. Why? Because this is what God's called me to do. This is the gift that God's placed in me. Next one is teacher. A teacher is one who teaches in all matter, discerning doctrine or the gospel and all matters of holy living or insight there. Teachers keep us on the right track. You need doctrine. Doctrine can be boring at times, but if you don't have any doctrine, it's like not having any roots. You ever try to grow a tree without roots? Ain't going to happen. Not going to happen, man. You know, it's another Spurgeon quote, but Spurgeon, one of the things that he said was really great. He said, man, if I take an apple tree and I plant it, right, and every six months I pick it up and I move it again, I'm not going to get fruit. It's, It's important that you come to discover what you believe in, why you believe in it, and build, and build your house upon something strong and foundational early on so that you can produce fruit. If you never, ever lay roots and allow them the opportunity to grow and get deeper, you are not going to make, first of all, you're not going to make it and your house is going to be on sinking sand. Every time someone challenges something that you think, it's all going to fall apart on you. You're, you're going to get this woe is me attitude. Uh, I, I can't, I'm, I'm the worst Christian ever. Uh, uh, by the way, self-condemnation doesn't come from God. It comes from you. All right. God does not condemn you. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up as part of the process. Get over it. Literally get over it. You're going to fail. Accept, accept that and move on and move on. Teachers help us here. They show us the Word of God where, like, one of the things that I need, I need to do a series about, it. it's been on my heart for a while, I just want to talk about the promises of God. That's something that the generation before me passed down to me. Things that I could pray about and I could stand on, you know, the gray hairs. This, they used to talk about, oh, you just need to stand on the promises of God. And then they would talk about all these promises of God, and they would be able to quote them. They used to, like, put scriptures all over their refrigerators and everything else. But I don't know if you remember back in the day, 10, 15 years ago. And, they, and these, these ladies would do this stuff, and that's one of the things they taught me as a young Christian. I need to stand on the promises of God, stand on the word of God at times. There are simple things like that, but I'm telling you that the older generation got right. I know we're, like, so sophisticated now with our little phones and everything, right? We're like the zombie nation with our, our social media. But the truth of the matter is, man, there's some things that the older generation has something to teach us about the promises of God and walking in the faith of God. So let's do it. We've, we have all of these ministries together, all of these offices, so to speak. And, and first and foremost, to address this, we're all evangelists. Nobody gets out of that one, all right? We've all been commanded to go and make disciples. There's no escape, but definitely some are better than others. Don't beat yourself up. Like, I'm trying. I know it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's what you're supposed to do. What you're definitely not supposed to do is is if you're not trying, totally wrong. There should be some form of evangelism happening in your your life because it should start in your heart. I want to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because of what he's done for me. There should be that always bubbling there. It should always be there. Um. Oh, I think I got got a little ahead of myself. There is no escape there. All of us bear the responsibility to share the gospel, to make disciples. 
It's hard making disciples. By the way, the reason the church fails at it, it's pretty simple, because they want to uh, outsource it to programs, and they want to outsource it to... By the way, the only way disciples are made, even in the Bible, are through relationships. And we've got to quit outsourcing that. There's like no easy way to go about that. We can't just sit them in a room in Sunday school and go, these guys are going to turn out great. Like, man, I mean, it's just not going to happen. Some of, them, some of them will, they'll flourish in there somehow, and they will. But usually the ones that will will be because they either have a relationship with the teacher and they're somehow building a relationship in there that the others aren't getting. Make no mistake, the best disciples are the ones who are in committed Christian, or not Christian, Jesus Christ-centered relationships. They're the ones who are constantly building each other up. They're talking to each other. They're having a relationship with each other where they build each other in the faith and they talk about Jesus. They talk about Jesus. That's, that's what we need, where we need to be. However, depending upon what gifts that God has given you, the level of calling that God's placed upon your life, it'll most certainly dictate what part of the fivefold ministries that you're a part of or which category you're a part of. And while most people might never become a pastor... They might become a teacher. They might have that ability to be able to teach and share with somebody. And so they're able, to, they're able to teach. They're able to be like a small group leader. They're able to do some other things because they're gifted in different areas, man. There are so many that through prayer, they become kind of prophets of God. Um, you can always recognize these guys, man. They're pessimistic. <laughs> they sound pessimistic, man, and they usually travel alone. <laughs> they're loners. Uh, definitely not the guy you bring to parties, right? And as you grow in the Lord, these things become... Uh, even more apparent. Uh, I mean, I, I see them in different people. Whether they see the gifts in themselves, I, I see where they could be great. The, the hardest part, I think, for a pastor is seeing where somebody can be good. And then, then there's the part where you kind of got to lay back and go, but I can't force that. There's a lot of people, I think this is where we get messed up. Like, they will take, well, I'm going to take this guy on wing because I see where he could be great. And I have to be careful. I'm not building something in the image that I want them to be created in. Because I really do believe that still the greatest disciple maker there is is Jesus. And while we might not physically see Jesus, make no mistake, he still builds disciples. He's resurrected, right? Or do we not believe the Easter story? All right, Jesus still builds the best disciples, man. He still builds the best one, right? As we grow, you're going to find out that there are different gifts in you that just needed to be cultivated. Just need a little bit of water. Just a little bit of cultivation in the ground. Needed the ground to be stirred up a little bit. Just needed the right season. You know, there are some seasons where the, where the soil is, is kind of turned up from the bottom a little bit. And some of you just need the right seasons. They just need the right season, man. And, and, and it's just all these things will develop in time and, and through different things, man. And, and, you know, so I think the question you kind of have to ask is what gifts do you have? What gifts do you have? And like, what qualities, what, what parts do you like? I mean, like when it comes to like these different parts, you know you're going to like fall into the evangelistic side, but do you see yourself as somebody who helps people, who, who wants to equip people and live for others? Do you see yourself as, as apostolic? you got that kind of risk. Are you a risk taker, man? Because by the way, if you're apostolic, you're a risk taker. Do you see yourself as somebody who's more prophetic? And I know what they've made the prophet today, what they, what they want to make it, but it's not always that way. I mean, the proof is John the Baptist. John's a prophet, but he never really prophesied uh, like, like the days of old, like anything in the Old Testament, right? I love how uh, uh, Ravenhill says about John. He says, you know, John never raised anybody from the dead, but he raised a dead nation. And, and like, uh, you know, I, sometimes it's, it's, we're called for different types of things as the prophet. For, for me, I, I know 
Uh, when it comes for, for me, I fall under the pastor probably more than anything. Secondary, probably really close with it, is the, uh, like, like the prophet, so to speak, because I believe with all my heart that, uh, uh, and I've said this in here, uh, my ability to take risks comes from me being an awful kid. And as a, as a kid who was awful, I have a lot of experience in getting uh, in trouble. And early in my life, man, they, I mean, you know, back when I went to school, you could, you, man, you could bust a kid. You could bust a man. You could, you could like get your ag shop and your, and your, and like give out grades for making the principal this paddle. And man, they studied aerodynamics. They would drill holes in it and make sure that, that no air would stop the, the ability to like wear you out. Right. And uh, to keep you from walking. Right. And uh, I mean, like it was almost like I think about how crazy sadistic it was. It, it was like, grab the table, Mr. Corsi, stare at that painting on the wall. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, like, and after a while, I guess where it's like, all right, I'll just let's go. You know, let's just take the beating. And, and they would give you the options like detention or beating, beating all day. Just give it to me. And, and I would just and like, but here's the here's the thing about that. I mean, like, look, I was awful kid. I don't, I don't take any like braggadocious on that thing. But like, here's the thing about that. As I got older, you know, I, I, saw myself, I see myself as so unbridled then, right? I have this gift of not being so scared of taking a risk, and it's cost me dearly as a kid because it was for dumb stuff. As an adult, I have the ability through spiritual maturity, through Jesus awakening me to what's important to fight for and take risks for. I'm willing to take the beating. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't places that I... Because I've had a few spankings that I could have done without. Like, okay, that was the limit. That was the limit, God. Like, I don't want no more after that, you know. And, and so, like, I don't know what yet that is with spiritual, but I know that the Lord has challenged me spiritually. How far can I go to take risk, to, to say something that might need to be said, even though it might cost me my reputation, even though it might cost me a friendship, but it needs to be said, even though it might cost me something physically, financially, Will I say it? And I have to be smart. It has to fall under love or it won't be under the office of the prophet. So I have to be smart about that, man. And let me tell you, spiritual maturity, which is kind of getting into the close here, that's what it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to, right? It's all good to be the prophet, man, but if it's not done right, it, you ain't no prophet at all, right? Micaiah got up before Ahab and said, when Ahab said, well, you know, what does the Lord say? Actually, it asked all these other guys, right? All these other prophets uh, in the book of uh, Kings. I think it's 2 Kings 22. He says, he says all, uh, you know, Jeho- him and Jehoshaphat were planning this battle. These two kings are playing the battle. He said, bring in the prophets. Let's, Jehoshaphat says, I want to hear what they have to say. And all the prophets come in. They're like, you're going to win. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best day of your life, man. We're going to shout the trumpets. And you're just, it's going to be awesome. And then, and then, and then I love it because like Jehoshaphat's like, it's not been my experience with the Lord. Uh, that everybody's just so agreeing together, which is funny because if you've been in the church today, that's so true. And, and he goes, is there anybody that really speaks for the Lord? Because I'm not sure about these guys. And Ahab's like, yeah, there's this one guy. And everything he says is bad. I mean, he's like the most pessimistic guy I know. Well, where is he at? Oh, he's in prison. I don't like him. And so they go get him out of prison. I love it. They slap him in the face and say, this is what everybody else said. Say what everybody else said. And he's like, man, as surely as the Lord speaks, this is what I'll say. He gets out there, and I love it. Condescendingly, they, what's going to happen? He goes, Micaiah goes, man, everything's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. They're going to blow trumpets for you. You know, that sarcastic kid that's just telling you what you want to hear. And what's funny, it's really what you want to hear, 
but you're like, it kind of like disgruntles you. Man, tell me the truth, right? And, and he goes, and he, and he goes, all right, man. So you're going to go into this battle, man, and you're going to be on the horse, and you're going to ride in there, and an arrow is going to be on fire and just sling right down in your chest, and you're going to die. And he looks immediately over and goes, told you. That's all that guy ever does to say bad stuff about me. By the way, that's how he dies, guys. That's, how, that's not mean. That's the truth. You, an arrow sticking in your chest is not mean. That's just the truth, guys. That's what's going to happen. Sometimes saying hard things is part of ministry. Sometimes saying hard things is part of the truth, right? So what is all the result of knowing all of this? I mean, what's the point of all this? The, the point of all this is spiritual maturity. You got to grow. Spiritual maturity. Paul says this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is the goal. It's all for nothing if you don't grow up. You're never going to understand your gift. You're never going to understand how it works as the whole by the way, it's going to work because Christ is going to make it work. But you could live in the joy of the Lord right now by spiritually growing up. This is the standard. And this is the text why we see that they're given to us. So that we might become united as one body and knowledge. Ultimately, that we might become mature in Jesus. <laughs> Maturity in Christ is defined here as being full and complete. And if you don't have that, if you don't feel that, this is what we need to talk about. This is when we talk about leadership, man. When we talk about leadership. One of the core values of leadership is that you must be willing to grow or learn. In leadership, we say maturity comes from being teachable. Being teachable. Teachable is defined as you listen and you apply. All right? If you don't walk out of here thinking about what your gifts are, writing those things down somehow, and thinking about these things. And you just walk out of here, well, I went to church, I heard a good message. I'm going to tell you right now, you missed everything we're talking about. It, can you hear what is being said, and can you apply it now in your life? This is growing. By the way, if your kids weren't doing this, you'd be spanking them every day, they're getting bad grades. You, sometimes we need to spank ourselves. Got to grow, man. By the way, as soon as you stop growing, you might as well be dying. You might as well be dying. I, one of my favorite guys ever, I mean, love this guy more than anything. He had to get my attention in a way that few have gotten my attention. His name was Bill Hobbs. I've, I've talked to you about it in a little bit. Bill Hobbs was a Korean uh, uh, veteran, fought uh, 12 years in the Marine Corps, used to tell the most goriest stories about killing Koreans, and just, it was in my math class, man. And listen, I, I told you, man, like, I failed everything you could fail in high school, but I passed all three years of math with Bill Hobbs. Now, by the way, when I talk about, when I talk, here's how he set the tone. When I talked bad, you know, in front of him, and I was going to, like, I'm going to, like, challenge this, this Marine because I'm an idiot, right? And he's like, well, you're going to the office. And I'm like, Phew. I already broke this guy. He ain't going to do nothing. That dude takes me outside, lifts me up by my throat, and says, I don't need a principal. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> that, I love that guy. He's the only guy that ever loved me enough to confront me. Only guy that ever loved me enough to confront me. And, man, I passed his class. He would tell me these awesome stories. And one of the greatest things he told me, he says this. He says, he, had, he goes, man, I'm finishing up my third master's. He said, I have two patents on sonars. 
Now, mind you, he got his schooling because he grew up being racially uh, uh, targeted because he was Indian. So Bill Hobbs was Indian. He, he went to school because, man, the government was going to pay for school. And if the government was going to pay for school, he was going to take advantage of it. And so he continued to go to school. When, I mean, when, here I am. I had him, you know, he was like in his 60s. And, and uh, he was on his third master's. He goes, yeah, I get weird looks there, but it's okay. He said, here's what I found, Jim. The fountain of youth is continual education. I am always learning what I don't know. And the more I learn what I don't know, the more I start to imagine and wonder what else is out there. And it keep, curiosity keeps me young. Oh, I love it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you apply that to the Word of God, it is the fountain of youth. It is the fountain of youth. You, you, you'll search and you'll search and you'll find out how much, how little you'll know. And by the way, it will humble you also because the size of your, once you start realizing how big your world is, you start to shrink. Right? I mean, one of, that's one of the amazing things he taught me and uh, I believe it's so true. We've got, we've got to, we've got to, got to stay teachable. We have to be able to learn and apply what we learn. Your life will reveal whether you, uh, uh, whether you can or cannot learn. It'll reveal it, man. The bad news is that others will often see it before you will. Most people know who's unteachable. You know, I have a, I have a saying in ministry that I try to help people, man. And, I, and I'm going to tell you. Man, so it's like, here's my secret. Like, if you catch me doing it, that should be an accountability check for you. But here's what I say. If, you're, if you are teachable, I'm going to talk to you in the moment. When we're in the moment, I'm going to have a conversation with you that might be hard. Right? And there are times when we're not teachable. Now, sometimes it doesn't always mean that we're always not teachable. But there are moments in our life when we're not open to what anybody else is saying. And in that moment, I'm just going to hold your hand and say, and Listen. I'm not going to speak into that moment at all. Why? Because it'd be fruitless. You're not going to listen. And if I try to, and then I get upset because you don't, whose fault is that? That's mine. So there are times where I, I just hold somebody's hand and I walk through life with them. Most of the time, if I'm doing that a lot with you, that's because I don't think you're very teachable. Just being honest. And if I'm talking with you and we're engaging and we're talking about your life and you're being open and you're sharing and you're trying to learn and trying to fly and I see the effort of your life, I promise you, man, we're going to have a conversation forever. We're going to continue to move. Why? Because you're teachable. Teachable means that you eventually will arrive at spiritual maturity. It's about growing and learning. And if you want to grow and learn, man, you've got to start reading more. Get off your phone, grab a book or read a book on your phone, but get it figured out. Start reading more. Leaders are readers. You mean a good place to start? Uh, not Amazon. How about your Bible? How about your Bible? Start reading God's Word. Right? Commentaries and other books are great supplements, but they will never replace the Word of God. By the way, ask my wife what kind of Bible I like. She'll tell you one that doesn't have commentaries. I don't need other people telling me how to believe and think. I, I hope to get you to that place. Tori, when you read the Bible, you start coming up with your own conclusions, your own questions that you begin to ask the Lord and start searching for yourself. And that even when you come in here, you even challenge what I begin to say and go back and search the scripture yourself so that you come to your foundation on your own. Because the one that you build will always be the one more solid in your life. It's the way it is. Reading God's word and, and also enduring the trials of life will lead you into becoming mature, full and complete in Christ. It's the combination of both. Living 
and reading the Word. When you read the Word and you begin to live at the same time along with the Word, it's going to be the great teacher. It's going to lead you to spiritual maturity. And I'm just going to real quickly, I'll deal with a couple of things and we'll get ready to close here. A couple of things that keep us from growing and, and, and maturing. These two things right here. Pride and pain. Pain can grow, but often our nature is to pull away. Pride puffs itself up and it causes us to think that we don't need to understand any more than what we already understand. By the way, if you think like that, you're struggling with pride. Pride declares that it knows everything and doesn't need anything. Right? Like every 15-year-old. Man, I already know. Man, you don't know nothing. Shut up. You don't know anything. I, my favorite is to watch kids grow up. You know, being in youth ministry, I get to see how kids grow up, man. So like... I see them at like 12 and 13, and I would watch them grow up, you know, and, and I, I remember, the, the, I think it was 10, 16, last year, year before, I think 15 and 16 is, is literally since I've been here seeing sixth graders that I knew graduate, sixth grade to 12. I'm going to tell you, they are different people. And getting them from, high, from junior high to about junior year is amazing the difference that they develop. So like, I don't take a lot of what they say like in middle school, like to heart. Man, I feel so much about this way. I know, that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, I don't try to persuade that because I love their hunger for things and they're learning things and growing things. But when they get to be like a junior or senior, they have like also like an understanding about themselves that's completely different now. And the way I talk to them in middle school is not how I talk to them once they get to a junior and senior. I start treating them more equal treating them like adults, showing them the same respect I would show an adult, but also require it, you know? How we, how we teach and train, all these things, right? It's teenage struggles with pride, right? The, the, the irony of pride, too, is we always think we don't need anything or anyone, but man, we know this isn't true. Look at our need for relationships. If, if, if we truly were, I mean, come on, man. We, we, we are so hungry for relationship. We created things like Instagram and all these social medias, Facebook and Twitter, where we can all talk. We can all communicate. We're so hungry for relationship and for something more via a relationship that it's all over our culture. We like and we need other people to support us because we struggle. We make mistakes. It's what we do. It's what we do. Pride tries to say that it's not true. Pride tries to like push away from that, but that's just not the truth, right? It's just not. Pain, however, sets us back. It stalls us out when we allow ourselves to sit and wallow in our hurt. Now, whether it's physical or mental or spiritual, it all acts as kind of, at times, it can be like a roadblock in our life when we allow ourselves to focus more on the pain than on Jesus. When we allow things to keep us from growing, we're failing to progress in maturity. We'd be a lot like a child that never really learns to walk, right? If you've had a lot of the, you've, you've had kids, you, you, you've seen it, what, like, remember when they learned to walk? How many of them like, just like instantly get it? They're up walking like, that was first time, man. If there'd have been a YouTube sensation, back, I would have just, I'd have, if YouTube back when I had a kid, I just filmed it, boom, first time, perfect child. No, man, they fall like a hundred million times. But can you imagine if you, if you were to say, you know what? It looked too painful the first time. I'm not going to let you try that again. Can you imagine a child growing up that never walks because it was too painful to fall? And here's my question with discipleship. 
If you try to remove pain from your life, you're going to palsy your walk in life. If you try to remove the struggle, what will you be? You'll be a spoiled brat. Come on, everyone, everybody wants, to, right here, man, everybody, when we see a spoiled brat like at Walmart, everybody wants to whip them. Don't lie. And guess what? When you're one, mm-hmm, you need a whipping too. You need a whipping too. Pain reminds us. Pain educates us. Pain, by the way, man, that's what I love about, you know, the Bible talks about if you spare the rod, you're basically saying to your child that they're parentless. That's what the child said. If you do not correct your kid, you're saying that you do not own the kid. You don't love them. That's what it's saying. So we always used to say to the youth group, man, rules mean I love you. Rules mean I love you. Why don't we act this way? Because it'd be smart not to. Because if you go, go ahead and try and see the pain that it causes emotionally amongst your friends if you act a certain way to them. Go ahead and do that. Most of you have learned how to behave and act due to the pain of finding out the wrong way. Pain's a great teacher. And if we didn't have pain in our life, man, I, the irony to me is we're always praying against it. Lord, take away this pain. Lord, take it. Listen, I get there some physical pains that would be nice to not have. But if we took away every pain, you'd never know the mountain heights without knowing the valleys. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up a bit. There's a whole world of people counting on us to follow Jesus. And we can't save them. Only, only Jesus can. But if we begin to really dedicate our life to Jesus, if we begin to model our life after Jesus and love like Jesus and forgive like Jesus, walk in the gifts that he's called us to walk in, that he has supernaturally poured into us, right? If we'll just begin to do some of those things, the world around us might actually get a glimpse of Christ. They will see us, yes, but they will see a sinner saved by the resurrection power. And, and through that, they will see Jesus. They will see his saving power. Isn't that what the world needs? That's why you're, man, that's why your life is so important, right? When we say testimony, we always just think that that word is a timeline that started when I was evil, awful, and right when I met Jesus. Your testimony is your whole life. How you overcame through the blood of the Lamb. Not just when you were wicked, awful, and didn't know Jesus, but even after you knew Jesus. And every time you kept falling, you kept getting back up. And you inspired someone else because you kept getting back up. How are they doing? Like they've lost all their hair. Cancer's eating them alive. I saw a picture of a 10-year-old boy who's believing in Jesus for a healing. And he's sitting there in his like, uh, uh, diaper that he's wearing because cancer's eating him to the bone. He has no hair. He's scrawnied up and everything else. But he's believing in God. His life is the testimony, man. I look at his life and I go, man, I have yet to know strength. right? And I'm inspired right, by his faith. His life is his testimony. Your life is your testimony. All of it. Utilize it. All of it. That they will see the saving power of Jesus. And that is what the world needs. They need to see Jesus. And for this world, you might be the only Jesus they see. You might be the only Jesus they see. Stand to your feet. Let's get ready for some worship.